We're going to be uh, in Matthew 11 tonight, and we won't be leaving Matthew 11 tonight. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to open to Matthew 11, uh, I'll be reading from the NIV. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we have all the verses that we kind of show on the screen behind me. So, so we're good. So Matthew 11, verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you and you, Capernaum. Will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sidon, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In this passage, and I, I, there's something very specific that I love about this passage. We see something interesting in Jesus. We see a very vulnerable and human side to Jesus. As he's expressing this, we see we see sorrow. We see sorrow. Now when we're reading something, you know, oftentimes we assign whatever tone we want. That's why, you know, just kind of speaking, you know, and when we're communicating to one another, oftentimes email is like the absolute worst means of communicating something that's really important because the reader gets to assign whatever tone they want. So you could write, Dear Kara, I hope you have a good day. I'm very troubled about something and I'm taking this opportunity to tell it. And the reader could be like, Kara could be like, Why is he yelling? Why is he screaming? And I the ignorance of doing like all caps or Italic, I don't know what italicized means, but she could be like, italicized means you're furious. And I'm like, I just thought it meant that I wanted to emphasize it. You know, no, it's, you know, as we're reading this, let's not assign our own emotion, our own tone to this, but let's think about the heart of Jesus real quick. He's expressing in these towns where most of my miracles were brought about, were worked. They didn't get it. They saw they saw the power. They saw the miracles, but they didn't hear the message. And and everything that that I did there, the miracles I worked, the end result was me leaving and them not being changed. The end result was me leaving and them not repenting. And when we talk about repentance, let's make sure that we're on the same page of what repentance is. Repentance is one of the most beautiful gifts we've been given by God. Repentance isn't this heavy judgmental thing. You know, too many times 
you know, you hear the word repent. And we talk about assigning tone. Too many times the tone that comes when we hear the word repent is a scream. Repent! And it's this angry, judgmental word. That is not what repent means at all. Repent means to rethink. All throughout the word, we read about having the mind of Christ and having our mind renewed by Christ. Repentance means, this is what I thought until God showed me the truth. And so I changed my mind and go, this is the direction I was heading down. And all of a sudden the Lord showed me his truth. And so I repent. I rethink. I come into agreement with what he says with his mind being renewed and I walk according to him. That's repentance. And it's a beautiful thing. Our prayer as believers, our prayers should often be full of repentance and full of forgiveness. That it should be a common thing in our prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for showing me your truth. And so Father, I just repent right now for that way of thinking. And Lord, I agree with you. Lord, I agree with you. I agree with with your word and what you've shown me. So I just repent from that. Lord, I ask you to just direct my path so that I walk according to what you think. That's repentance. But how many of you guys, repentance was this ugly judgmental word that you only heard when someone was angry at you or or someone, you know, wanted to, to speak down. That's not what repentance is at all. Jesus had ministered in the towns of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And he had worked miracles, yet they refused to repent. When people see the miraculous, life-changing power of God and still do not repent, that brings about sorrow in the Lord. It's a natural human response. I said I love this passage because it shows the human side of Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't a robot. He wasn't this, you know, robotic. He was a human. He was completely man and completely God. But he was completely man. He had emotions. You know, I, I like seeing in the word the times that that Jesus became angry. You know, the command is be angry and sin not. And <laughs> man, I think Jesus like came real close. I mean, he was like, there's times his anger, I'm like, that's my kind of anger. I like that kind of anger. Making whips and I don't know. I've never done that, but it sounds fun. Um, He shows sorrow here. Jesus makes himself vulnerable here. At the end of that passage I read, Jesus' words were, no one knows the Son except the Father. He might have well have been saying, no one knows what I'm carrying except my Father. No one knows the, the intense love I have and the disappointment at seeing that they didn't receive it. No one knows that except my Father. Jesus makes himself vulnerable. But what's his response in the midst of vulnerability? Lost in this passage, kind of in the middle of it, we see a response from Jesus that we're to follow. And that's in verse 25. Where Matthew 11, 25, it says, At that time Jesus said, 
I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. In the midst of expressing disappointment, in the midst of expressing frustration, in the midst of expressing sorrow, his response is, I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Father. Other translation says, I thank you. I give thanks. I praise you. I thank you. Giving thanks is an appropriate answer to dark and troubling thoughts. We all have them. There's times we've all felt no one knows what I'm carrying right now except for God. No one knows what I'm feeling right now except for God. We all have thoughts of heaviness and sorrow and darkness. And there's times we just don't know what our response should be. We see in this word from Jesus an appropriate response is giving thanks, is giving praise, is just taking a moment to take our eyes off the heaviness and to put them on to God. It's also an effective way to silence those thoughts. When we're beside ourselves, one of the toughest things to do is to find rest, is to find peace, because those thoughts are just consuming. We can't we can't run from them. We can't set them aside. You know we we can try. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the movies and lose myself there. And it's like that's oh, a waste of time. I'm still thinking about it. Oh, I'm gonna go to bed. I'm just gonna sleep it off. Would you lie in bed, tossing and turning? How do we set those thoughts aside? How do we set those feelings aside? We set our eyes to heaven, and we give thanks. We set our eyes to the Father, and we praise. Songs of praise lift heavy hearts and cures sorrow. It, it might not, it doesn't do away with, with that thing that caused us the sorrow, but when we set our focus on Him, it lifts it. When we lift our voice in thanks to Him, it lifts it. When we have no other answer ready to arm ourselves against the sorrow the sorrow of grief and fear we always have this heavy artillery to destroy his assault always I praise you Father Lord of heaven and earth the problem is most of the time we just don't want to do it we just don't want to do it when we're filling all this the last thing that, that our flesh usually wants to do is stop and, and set our focus on Jesus. Because, I mean, like for me, what I want to do is I want to problem solve. What's the solution? How can I get to that solution? What can I do and what can I do now? I can do something. Yeah, what I can do is remember Jesus. What I can do is set my attention on Him and go, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on You and I'm going to praise You and there, there are probably things I can do later, but right now, what I need to do is remember you. What was Jesus' response? To remember, to thank, to praise his Father who knows every ounce of his heart, 
and his mind and his being. So what's our response to sorrow? Shouldn't it be the same? To remember? To remember what? God's goodness. His faithfulness. His provision. What was Jesus' frustration with the towns that he named? By the way, the, the other towns that he was mentioning, Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, they were all destroyed. They were all destroyed because of their evil, because of their corruption, because of their godlessness. And he's saying it would be better for, for them than it will be for you because you saw the power of God. You saw the love of God demonstrated to you in the miraculous, and yet you still weren't moved. Yet you still didn't repent. Yet you still didn't change your way of thinking, and you didn't change your hearts. So what do we do? We, we remember. You know what? Things right now, you know, things aren't going the way I want, but... but Lord, I remember a time when I was in a similar situation and you you moved. You saved the day, if you will. You you came in. You gave me strength. I don't know how I made it through that, but you carried me through. When we remember that, we remember that he's capable and desiring to do it again. We remember. We give thanks. We give thanks. There is something powerful about looking to heaven and giving thanks. Jesus did it before the the miracles with the loaves and the fishes. He looked to heaven and he gave thanks. He didn't ask God for anything. He didn't ask God to multiply the food. He looked to heaven and gave thanks. We look to heaven and give thanks. And we praise I love the fact that this passage it takes a very awesome progression. Verse 28 Jesus then says this Come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the fact that Jesus just goes from sharing his own bit of heaviness to then explaining what he does. Hey, I I run to the Father. Then he instructs us, hey, enough about me. (laughs) enough about me. Don't you love that? How often in the midst of our sorrow, we can't think of anything else but ourselves. We can't. We can't get our minds on anything else but ourselves. And what does Jesus do? He pauses and goes, hey, those of you that that are worn out, that are weary, that are heavy burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. If we are weary in our bodies, come to me. I'll give you rest. If we are heavy in our hearts and in our mind, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me in rest, in refuge, in repose. That word rest, it's 
Anapao. A-N-A-P-A-U-O. Anapao. Do you know what word we get from Anapao? I, I don't I don't know either. I was asking you guys. I I have no idea. There's got to be something. A little bit of pastor humor there. Very little. <laughs> but, you know. Line up. That word anapolo means to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. It means to give rest, refresh. And I love this definition. To keep quiet with calm and patient expectation. To keep quiet with calm and patient expectation. This is what we find in Jesus. Calm and patient expectation. A reprieve from activity. A cease from movement or labor in order to recover and collect our strength. This is what Jesus is saying. Hey, if you're weary, this is what I got for you. If you're heavy laden, if you're heavy burdened, this is what I got for you. Rest. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Right? But what's his next line? What's what's the absolute next line he says? Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He says, come to me, I'll give you rest. But take my yoke upon you. Do, do we know what a yoke is? A yoke is used for work. It's a heavy wooden harness that's put over the shoulders of oxen or cattle. And then equipment is attached to it and it's used to plow, to clear the fields and the oxen pull by use of this harness, this yoke upon them. So Jesus goes, come to me, and I'll give you rest. And put this yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Anyone else find that interesting? You know, just a little curious. Jesus just gets done saying, Come rest in me, but take my yoke upon you. Why would he do that? Why would he say that? Why does Jesus give us rest? I'm a basketball fan. I like basketball. So there's a player in the NBA. His name is Derek Rose. plays the Chicago Bulls. Last year, he was the MVP of the league. Derek Rose and uh, Chicago this year, they're having a good season. They're the, they have the best record in the whole league. And he's, he hasn't played the last several weeks. He's been injured. And so this week, he came back, and they put him in a game. And it was... It was a tight game. It was a close game. It was a game against the number two team in the NBA. It was against Miami Heat. And they put Derrick Rose in the game after after being injured. And the coach quickly, you know, he's, he seems to be, you know, hey, he's got a lot of energy, a lot of strength. He's playing. He's not limping around. The coach pulls him and puts him on the bench and says, you know, you're you're not going back. You might as well. You know, put your sweats on. You know, you're not going back in. Early in the game. Now, what's cool about this, and you know, I'm not a Derrick Rose fan, but but seeing clips of him watching the game and cheering on, man, he was engaged. 
He was cheering. There's a timeout. He's high-fiving. He's coaching from the sideline. He's, he's engaged. He's, he's on the sideline, but he's engaged. The reason you'd pull the league MVP and sit him on the bench is because there's a championship that they're aiming for later. There's, we need you later. We can rest you now so that you can be effective later. If you're hurt and you're wounded and you're limping around now, you're, you're no good to me later. I need you strong. I need you whole. I need you healthy. This team needs you. We have a bigger goal in mind. And the same goes with the Lord also. There's work that we are to be about doing. And He wants us rested so that we can be effective in that work. So that we can be passionate in that work. So that we can be fearless in that work. God gives us rest so that we have strength to get back in the game, back in the battle. But not just that. He says this. He says, learn from me. In verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You notice that he doesn't say, learn from me, and then take my yoke upon you, right? That's not what this says. He doesn't say, learn from me and then take it upon you. He says, take my yoke upon you and then learn from me. It doesn't work the other way around. Why do we so often think that we've got to in some way qualify ourselves before we do His work? In some way, we've got to better ourselves before we can do His work. Why do we think that when we look at the men he, Jesus surrounded himself with, most of them are completely unqualified? You know, if you want to be successful in the business realm, I mean, I can't even remember the last time I heard about, you know, on-the-job training. You know, you have to be qualified first, and then we'll give you the position, then we'll give you a little bit more, but you can't just come in here totally unqualified. I mean, it makes, it, you, we don't see it at all, except with, with God. Take this upon me. And the good news is it's light. And it's easy. And I'm kind and I'm gentle. And I want to teach you that. Take it upon me and then... Take it upon you and then let me teach you. We come to Him and He gives us rest, right? We come to Him and He gives us rest. We take His yoke upon us and out of his gentle humility, he teaches us. And once again, what's the result? Rest. Not just for our bodies, but for our entire soul. The rest that Jesus promises us is love, healing, and peace but not the end of labor. Oh, thank God I get rest. Now I don't have to work. Just, we'll come back to that. Just rest for a moment. We're not promised the end of labor. We're not promised the end of work. 
In fact, he says, rest so that so that you can carry my yoke and not whatever ungodly, heavy, oppressive thing that you've been carrying. Because his yoke is easy. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. 